0: Because of the following special program, WKRP in Cincinnati and Lou Grant will not be presented this evening. The following program was recorded at an earlier date for broadcast at this time.
1: <laughs>
2: Mr. Slaus, my, my world.
3: strip tonight. I'm not on a stay-home trip tonight. Long hair seems to be the main attraction. But the heat is causing all the action. Bright
2: lights everywhere. Pretty girls with long, long hair. But
1: somehow
4: The, how much, uh, the how much have I
5: had to drink? Oh my god!
4: Cute girls, fast scooters, sleek suits, and absolutely no musical talent. Mr. Suave rose through the SoCal mod revival scene. Yard parties, mod concerts, broken noses.
6: First concert brawl you were caught up in. Oh, geez. Or, or the concert where you had your nose broken.
4: Well, you're going to have to narrow that down. <laughs> But behind all of this grease and glitter, there was darkness. And, uh, so yeah, I had a love affair with martinis. But I would go pass out in the back of the place and they did sneak in and do that, I think. Finally, the world was ready. A whole (laughs) new image. With an all new me. And in 2006, rising from the ashes, he broke the internet and changed the course of humanity forever. This modern-day Prometheus stole from the gods and handed mankind its greatest gift.
1: It's a mod,
4: Now, after 399 epic episodes, Mr. Suave pauses from his jet-set lifestyle to sit down at the bar and speak candidly with Mary Queen of Cosmos. This is Mr. Suave, Behind the Music.
6: Welcome to Mr. Suave's Mod Mod World. This week we're celebrating a very special episode. Happy 400, Mr. Suave. Thank you. You're up there in law and order territory. Um, In another 200 episodes, you'll be chasing down the Simpsons.
5: Oh, wow. I
6: know. And Gunsmoke.
5: And guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Um, you have been modcasting since 2006. Correct. Okay. And within the last year or so, I've been reading on the Twitter about all of these headlines that uh, this new podcasting thing is really taking off. So congratulations. Is that what
5: they were saying in 2006?
6: No, that's what they were saying this year. This oh. last 2017. I guess it's wow. 2018 now.
5: It is 2018.
6: Mm-hmm. So. I want to say, on behalf of myself and all your mod listeners, congratulations. Thank you. In true mod fashion, you are proving yourself to be strikingly, but not surprisingly, cutting-edge. Oh,
4: I
5: like to think so. Even if I'm wrong.
6: Well, even if you're wrong. So, to celebrate this, we are going full-scale VH1 behind the music. <laughs> or, in this case, behind the okay. bar. Okay, yeah, behind the bar. perhaps under the bar, depending on well, how far we go. Well, if I we have go. more
5: of these Gibson martinis, I might be under something.
6: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Oh, wait,
5: your husband's downstairs, right? Right, right. Okay.
6: Um, is there anything you want to say before you start incriminating yourself?
5: Um, no, I thank you very much. This is... I didn't know what to do to celebrate Modcast number 400, and so this is it. Um, I could have done a best of 2017 show. Everybody does those. Mm -hmm. I still might. I don't know. There's a lot of good music lunch.
6: Yeah, there was.
5: Um, So anyhow, though, I'm happy that you uh, had this idea and wanted to do this, and you keep bugging me, asking me questions about how I ended up in this spot. So... So Go we're going to get there. Yeah.
6: We're going to travel down memory lane together. get Um All right. Um, now, I never read any of the paperwork that you send me, so before we begin, um, do you have any special writers, any special requirements like a specific colored M&M or a sandwich? Oh, no
5: brown m and <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Who is that that couldn't have brown M&Ms in there?
6: Right. That, w- that was the signal that they hadn't read the writer, uh-huh. but I can't of who it is. Um, all right, so I want to begin with your turning point, that, that paradigm shift, that pivotal moment when mm-hmm. you were introduced to the mod scene. Um, first of all, was it the music or the lifestyle that captured your attention?
5: <laughs> um, uh, I guess I have to say the lifestyle. Why does a guy do anything but for a girl? Okay,
6: okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> lifestyle first. It was first. that lifestyle, yep. Um, where were you? When was this?
5: Um, it was at summer camp in 1982, okay. I think, in Southern California. And I remember seeing these um, beautiful young ladies that I was uh, trying to get to know better. They were from Huntington Beach, especially one whose name was Heidi. She was really cute. And all of the guys that they were hanging around with, my friend told me, oh, yeah, those guys are mods. They're okay. like really into 60s. And I was like, oh, so that's how that happens.
6: (laughs) And then the music followed? Mm.
5: Yeah, it turns out that I was already a fan of a lot of uh, mod-ish, mod-friendly music. I listened as a youngster to a lot of 60s music. First album I ever bought was The Monkees, Meet the Monkees. Second album I ever bought was Introducing Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66. And I bought it that summer because they had cool suits on and looked like mods. How did you know to buy those? Well, the monkeys one I'd had for a while and I didn't buy a lot of uh, music at that point in time. I was I was getting into music, but I wasn't purchasing it as much as I was like listening to the Oldie Station on the radio or K-Rock, the punk rock station. It wasn't really punk. Well, it was, yeah, Bay played a fair amount of punk, new wave, power pop, British music. That's what I was interested in. So, I already had an idea of some of the music that it turns out the mods were really into. I just didn't know that connection until as I was getting older in high school. How
6: long until you discovered uh, The Who? Uh,
5: Pretty quickly. I knew some of The Who because I'd heard, you know, songs by The Who. um, But I didn't know their mod connection, but that was like immediate. That was one of the things that I found out right away because I went home from summer camp and... Uh, I remember trying to figure out how to research this thing. and
6: Which, before the internet, that's one of the things that... No internet. Right, You remember right. the
5: card catalog at the public library? <laughs> Turns out they don't have a lot of modernism listings in there. But they had some, even in Upland, California. And I found out some things. And so that opened my eyes. I was like, oh, the who? Okay, that's a mod band. I better... And I started listening to that, and it was just from there, the local record store found out some things, talked to people, found out some things... That's it happened.
1: When we had a sad child Always feeling low down Tuesday had a dream child She's always on the go, so
3: Full of silver and surprise, if you look around, just look around. All the wisdom of the sea in a grain of sand, look around, just look around, set the child within you free.
6: Swab's Mod Mod World, the web's original and longest-running modcast, celebrating mod-influenced music, including soul, ska, garage, power pop, punk, lounge, easy listening, and more. Get your Suave on at MrSwab.com. So I have some firsts to ask you. Mod firsts. Okay. Um, You already answered the first album.
5: Uh
6: Uh-huh. And and one of it was, well, parenthetically, was that vinyl or cassette tape?
5: Uh, Originally, I was buying vinyl. I mean, that was a record. I bought The Monkees. I bought Sergio Mendes. I got other albums on vinyl. And then, for various reasons, I switched to cassette tapes pretty quickly. We all did. Um. But not, not for the same reasons. I kind of had to because... Um one album, and I wasn't limited in my musical interest. One album I bought was Rush 2112, mm-hmm. which is a great album, actually. Um, <laughs> and if I'm sure most people are familiar with the cover of the naked man from behind, and mm-hmm. the, the pentagram in it. Um, yeah, my mother found that in my room, and she broke the album and threw it away. She also threw away Oingo Boingo's Only a Lad, because he kind of looked like a demon on the front cover. And uh, I quickly thought, oh, well, I'm replacing these. I'll replace it with a cassette tape that I can easily hide somewhere. And she won't get rid of it. <laughs>
6: Did you have, a, like, a hiding place? Your, a go-to hiding place? Or just buried?
5: It was buried. I mean, originally I didn't think it was a big deal, so I didn't hide the albums. They were just in my room. And then she, um, my, my upbringing was very conservative, it's safe to say. And she was very religious, and those were not acceptable in our home. Um and so yeah i had to switch to something that was easier um and actually what's funny is being a mod uh, being into 60s music that was easier for her to accept Hmm. she was okay with the beatles and the rolling stones and the who uh you know british invasion stuff any 60s music really um it was the things that she was worried about that were seemed more modern and um either satanic or sexualized or anything so any modern punk rock new wave type stuff if it had a questionable looking cover i knew that that wasn't gonna fly um you know so it, you, you didn't want something lying around that said nazi punk fuck off <laughs>
0: There were more than 24 hours in the day
5: Scooter rally. Oh, uh, first scooter rally started in uh, Claremont mm-hmm. in the Inland Empire. We met at Nick's, was which was the only um, place you could get cappuccino or espresso for about forty miles until you got to Pasadena at a place called the E Bar. So we met at Nick's. We would have cappuccino. We were incredibly pretentious, <laughs> dressed in suits It's seventy-eight degrees out in the middle of summer. Uh, actually probably if it was only 78 it probably wasn't summer uh, but you get the idea that it was warm and we're wearing parkas over those suits too
3: because a dedicated follower
5: of fashion uh, because that's what you did right it goes without saying and I rode on my friend Bean's scooter with him because I didn't have my own scooter a man You often if you didn't have a scooter you just rode along with somebody or in a, you know an aid car or something <laughs>
6: <laughs> very first scooter
5: my first scooter was a 1979 p200 um i bought it also another thing my parents didn't know about i saved up all my money and bought it at the end of my senior year of high school i bought it from a man uh a little old man who lived in rancho cucamonga he took exquisite care of this thing it was in primo condition when I got it uh, so that would have been sometime early 1985 like in the spring or maybe even like you know February March somewhere in there that's when I bought it and I had to go out I had to get a friend to drive me to Rancho Cucamonga and then I paid him $900 cash some of it in singles for my tip money the night before And then I had never actually ridden a scooter myself. (laughs) I'd ridden on the backs of scooters. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spent the next three hours getting home six miles away, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) learning how to use the clutch, and um, because it actually had gears and it would, you know, it could even get up to 70, 75 miles an hour downhill on the freeway maybe.
6: Did you save it at home or at a friend's?
5: Oh, no, I took it home. And then my mother's like, what in the world is that? And I'm like, I bought a scooter. <laughs> and She was not too thrilled about it, but I'd already paid for it. It was my own money. And uh, I was not quite yet 18, but I was getting there. And so have. as a 17-year-old, I was pushing the boundary. Maybe she could have walked the thing away, I suppose, and told me not to ride it. But um, she didn't like it, but I rode it everywhere of course after then.
6: Um, What color was
5: it? Blue. Blue. It's a... Anybody who's ridden Vespas knows the Piaggio blue. It's very much like this blue snowball microphone. Okay, In fact, it's almost identical to that (laughs) blue right there.
6: First suit. (laughs) Uh,
5: Yeah. I came home from summer camp, determined to be a mod. Uh, Very little idea how that was going to be accomplished. (laughs) Um, And shortly thereafter, within weeks, uh, went on a family vacation to Seattle um where my family, my extended family was, and went to see my uncle in um, his house and I ravaged through this old closet in the back of the house where they had all these clothes. It was like going to your own vintage thrift shop. He likes a shirt and tries on pants and buys a brand new- There were three or four suits there that fit me perfectly from about, like, actually 1967. Um, and one was, like, a really dark green with, like, a threaded <sighs> pinstripe through it. Another was a jet black uh, one. There was a really nice gray one. So I I got all these from my uncle. I asked my aunt. I said, where are all those clothes back there? Those are really cool. And she said, oh, at adult- do <laughs> And so I stole them and <laughs> took them home with me. She's like, please, take as much as you want. I got that. I got sweaters. I got shirts. Uh, it was like a free vintage shopping spree.
6: So this was between what years of high school?
5: That would have been in the late summer of 1982.
6: So, that's so I like... started
5: my sophomore year of high school in 83
6: uh-huh.
5: and uh, with a whole new look, okay. a whole okay. new <laughs> image. It was an all new me. <laughs>
6: That you would consider mod or mod adjacent?
5: Um, the first concert I went to was to see uh the three o'clock at Timbers uh nightclub, which was a really divey little place, but they had these kind of shows. I forget who opened it might have been I think it was the Jaywalkers and then there was probably somebody else. And that was before I had my scooter.
6: So the three o'clock? Yeah. Tell me tell me I thought uh they
5: were part of the paisley underground
6: okay they were
5: quite popular in southern california they had started out as a kind of garage punk band called the salvation army and for obvious reasons were forced to change their name (laughs) uh they were had a lot of singles out as salvation army and people you know loved it but they became the three o'clock and they got more mod and it, it had a very 80s mod feel to it um and they uh, were really popular at Paisley Underground, and they used to, I mean, the Bangles opened for them. See, I like, you. Oh, oh, okay, so, okay. So, like, uh, there's a, a show, the so, Bangles opened for the three o'clock.
6: So is this the Bangles before they were the Bangles as we know them? No,
5: Famously. they were the Bangles as you know them then. Um, they, they started out as the Bangs and had a single called, the under the name, The Bangs, And then very quickly they became the Bengals and that first album on Frontier Records with going down to Liverpool and some of those things that got popular airplay on uh, MTV was where they started. So they were part of the Paisley Underground, Green on Red, The Long Riders, uh, Three O'Clock, Dream Syndicate, all these bands that were in that LA Paisley Underground scene. And I remember when the Three O'Clock had people It's why I wanted a scooter. It was before I got mine. They said, anybody has a scooter, we're going to film a video for MTV. And they filmed it for their song, Jet Fighter. Um, You can find it online on YouTube now, of course. Great video. Some of my friends are in it, riding scooters. Um, The Bangles were on MTV at the same time getting popular as well. So they were both kind of big in the local area. So then your brain is raised Just played the Pandora. We
6: just played Fishbone.
5: Yes, we did. Okay. And, and the Bengals. Yes,
6: before and that 3 the Bengals, 3 o'clock. So were those pre-zine yes. bands yes. and experiences? Okay, perfect. So talk about
5: the like Well, I don't... those are they were all mainstays on the mod garage rock punk scene in Southern California, early to mid eighties. Um, like I said, the Paisley Underground, Three O'Clock and Bengals were certainly part of that. Um, Fishbone was a big part of the ska scene uh-huh. and really incorporated funk into their music. That came a little bit later, but they were already incorporating a lot of funk and soul in their music in a way that I think really influenced uh, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Went from being yeah. pretty much a punk band to becoming that more funky punky sort of whatever it is that they are. The Pandoras were a total 60s garage rock band. Um, used to go see them all the time. They had this storied uh, breakup uh, where two of the women it was all girl band Gwendolyn and Paula split so for a while there was Gwendolyn's Pandora's and Paula's <laughs> Pandora's um, and the, it was just this terrible yeah it caused a, a big rift among them and a lot of people that were friends with them of which I was not really I knew those people I wasn't really friends with them or hung out with them as all that much except to go see the band like I, I saw the Pandora's at Cal Poly, and um, it was a different vibe then in so many ways. Um, it was Paula's Pandora's, and Paula was the lead singer and guitarist, and had always been her band, um, and really, I think, um, but I, I remember being, you know, kind of right up at the front of the stage, and this is not a big show, and it's in the evening, and there's probably 150 people there, so when you're right at the front of the stage, it was easy to get there. It wasn't mm-hmm, like big mm-hmm. crowd push or something. But um, standing there, and she's wearing this super short mini skirt and no underwear, and she leans back, you know, like right to play, like heavy metal style, with her legs <laughs> wide open to the front of the oh, audience, yeah. okay. and she's playing. And it's um, and me and Christopher and a bunch of people were all yeah, this is <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, oh. We loved it, you know. Um. I don't, I, I don't know what the girls there thought. Yeah. That we were with, you know, our friends and things. It was a very rock and roll moment, and they were kind of a rock and roll rowdy band, so. Yeah, were they
6: empowered? I mean, you can't know.
5: Yeah, I don't. I mean, they were certainly empowered by something that night. I think. Um, <laughs> but you know, they were. Yeah, they were hard rockers, sort of, and and. Interestingly enough, the the whole story gets really weird as the band split, and then the very finally the Pandora's gel with Paula later, and they're signed to Enigma, I think,
1: records.
5: But they really do become kind of a heavy metal band. Hmm. But you can still hear like the '60s influence there. But they had this like glam rock girl heavy metal vibe going that we all lost kind of interest with for the from the mod side right because they changed to dress yeah they kind of moved ahead in a way that we weren't headed but probably not wearing any underwear
6: (laughs) so that was cool
4: time on Mr. Suave Behind the Music, Volume 2.
6: First concert brawl you were caught up in. Or or the concert where you had your nose broken.
4: Oh, you're
5: going to have to narrow that down. (laughs) Um, We all listened to Combustible Edison and we all bought the reissues of Esquivel and Les Baxter and their music. Oh, my God, you can get any song you want. If you have a 56K modem and 18 hours to spare.
4: Next time on Mr. Suave, Behind the Music.
1: That's all, folks.